Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is Dr. Simon, and my show is called The Stories We Live By. And I want to discuss something tonight. I'm hoping my uh, colleague and friend Jim Morrison will sign on soon. Uh, apparently, I, I originally changed the date for this because uh, for next week. Although, my, of course, my wife really wanted me to take her out for dinner, and we ended up coming back uh, early enough for me to change the date back to today at eight o'clock. Uh, Jim says he has dinner at eight o'clock, and I don't know anybody who eats that late uh, here in Florida. Uh, I eat late at six thirty. Most of the people I know eat at five o'clock. And the joke is uh, how many people go out for dinner at 4 o'clock, because I guess they go to bed at 7 o'clock. But anyway, um, what set me off to do this show, uh, and and I call it a show of denial, um, and I'm not sure what to call it, uh, is is, um, a a documentary I watched uh, called Gasland. Actually, Gasland 2. I've never heard of Gasland 1. Uh, and if I really want to be depressed, I'll, I'll, when that's on, I'll watch that. Uh, it was on HBO, Home Box Office, one of the premium stations. I don't see this ever being shown on regular television. Perhaps um, on public broadcasting, it might appear. And anyway, uh, this really uh, uh, caught me in the gut. The show is about, a documentary about, the uh, using of uh, high-pressure water to extract um, natural gas from shale. Apparently, America and different parts of the world have huge amounts of natural gas trapped in shale. And I think this is called fracturing or fracting. I forget the name. But anyway, what they do is they put a long pipe down into the shale level. And this pipe now goes down past the aquifers where our drinking water is found. Large amounts of of water that comes up in wells comes from natural aquifers. Uh, Water that comes out of the sky, goes down into the ground, is filtered, and then becomes very natural, clean water for drinking and for cooking and for other purposes, but mostly and importantly for drinking. And these long pipes are covered in about two inches of hardened cement to keep them from bursting or breaking. And this stuff then, these pipes go down into the ground and uh, uh, water, uh, tremendous water pressure is put down into the shale, which breaks it up and releases the natural gas and all kinds of other elements uh, that, uh, like benzene and hydrochlorine and all kinds of other elements then come up into out of the pipes into tanks where the processing of natural gas can take place. And this is now taking place in, in all over the world. And it's not like uh, oil, which you send down a well and it taps into a large reservoir. These pipes go down and they into the shale, and the shale is is uh, relatively local, so that you could have hundreds of these pipes going down into the shale. Um, 
if you watch television, as I do, I watch golf game, tennis, there's a constant bombardment of ads, happy ads that America now can become energy independent, that this natural gas is cheap and it's cleaner than coal or cleaner than oil, uh, even though it's still an organic uh, uh, compound. And um, this is going to save America from all of the uh, problems we've had importing oil from the Middle East and other parts of the world, which can be hostile to our interests and which, uh, like OPEC, uh, can drive up the price of oil so that gas uh, can go to four, five, six dollars a gallon and really destroy our economy. And it's constantly showing how safe and clean this particular energy is. Well, the show, which is about two hours long, reveals that it's not safe and it's not clean. Uh, the show concentrated on some towns in Pennsylvania and what is happening to the water supply in Pennsylvania that um, is horrendous and terrifying. And what's happening to the land as they put more and more pipelines in to take the gas from the local uh, uh, wells to, more, uh, to larger wells where it can then be more processed and then sent on to wherever it has to be sent on to be sold and to be uh, used uh, as an energy source. Power plants, uh, cars are being used now, are being built to use natural gas. There's a bus that runs around uh, in my area that, that uh, says it's a natural gas bus. In any event, the people who live in the town know something terrible is, is going wrong, uh, and they begin to have cancer clusters. Now, on Long Island, where I come from, there were a number of these cancer clusters, and people began to think maybe it was in the water. Uh, and independent verification would suggest that this is possible. But the moment the government steps in and the moment uh, uh, vested interests step in, uh, reports begin to show that it has nothing to do with the water, or in this case, nothing to do with these wells that's contaminating the water and creating possibly these cancer clusters uh, and other forms of illness, some of them very serious. The show goes on to, to demonstrate the kind of uh, public relations that put in place to create these sunny pictures of great safety and low cost while the people become more and more desperate because they know in the case of the water uh, that's coming out of their faucets that it smells bad, that it tastes bad, uh, that the color is being ruined. And the, the, the um, uh, verifications, the testing that goes on shows that something is wrong. What's fascinating is that the water is contaminated with methane gas. Methane is one of the greenhouse gases which is being released in large amounts uh, into the atmosphere, which we know now, except for those who deny that this is happening, uh, that uh, we're changing the atmosphere and creating enormous climate change. And sort of everybody knows that. I'll get back to that in a minute, that everybody is frightened and everybody knows it. 
Except if you listen to those in power and those in government and the big business, absolutely not. There's no proof of this. In fact, if Jim is listening, uh, they just had a large bee die off uh, in Oregon. Oregon. Uh, I'm learning to say it right, Jim. Uh, which um, uh, thousands of bees went into a group of trees in, in one area in, in a town, and they had 100,000 bees die. Uh, and they know it's from a particular pesticide. Now, this pesticide is being used all over the world, particularly in the United States, um, and uh, the bees are dying off worldwide, and it's been pointed out that the food supply, 60% of the human food supply, uh, is uh, pollinated by bees and other insects, the bee being the big pollinator. And when it was when uh, Monsanto, I believe it was Monsanto or maybe Dow, that makes this particular new uh, pesticide, was told what was happening. They said, "No, we need more studies, at least five more years of studies to show that it, the bees are dying off because of this particular pe- pesticide." Uh, it's always the same thing, and in this particular show, the the Gasland. The people have become more frantic, more uh, organized, but not at all powerful like the companies that have billions and billions of dollars to hire public relations people uh, to deny that there's anything wrong with the water. But one of the couple of scenes in this is that uh, somebody takes a, a cigarette lighter next to the faucet while it's running, and all of a sudden the water explodes because the methane is so heavily uh, uh, involved with this, what's coming out of the faucet that it catches fire. And, and people stand around looking at pump, what's coming up from water pumps and their wells and out of their faucets that can be ignited, like an oil well that's burning off extra gas uh, so it, the wells don't explode. Um, the EPA was called in. And I forget the name of the woman who was uh, Obama's EPA director in the first administration. And uh, finally, she admitted that the studies show without doubt that these pumps are failing, the gas pumps are failing, and they even know how they're failing. Uh, The concrete that goes into the ground that's supposed to protect these pipes fails. Five percent of these pumps fail. Uh, the moment they're put in, they begin leaking gas and other contaminants uh, up into the water supply, uh, which is above the shale that's now being uh, ruptured and fractured in order to get the gas out. Um, so you have this, this, this uh, wonderful scene where they believe something was going to be done. The town is being destroyed. People are moving. They cannot live where their water, all their wells are so contaminated, uh, pictures of the forest being crisscrossed, uh, uh, mountains being leveled so that these uh, pipes uh, that deliver the gas uh, are shown, are horrifying. It's taking a place that's full of forests where people are happy to live and making it literally uninhabitable, and they're all moving. Uh, and they move when the gas companies come to them, 
I think Shell was mentioned as the major gas company involved in this particular uh, uh, debacle, this fiasco, uh, this this uh, environmental catastrophe. And what happens is that the gas company offers them money to move, and they have to sign a non-disclosure form. Otherwise, the money reverts back to the gas company. So that the public never really knows or, or understands just what kind of damage is being done. Uh, there was a scene about uh, in Australia uh, where horrendous damage is being done to the water supply and to the environment at large by these pumps that are bringing up natural gas uh, as a supplement or a replacement for the oil that's now too expensive or in many cases is disappearing. We've used it up. Nowhere is anybody really talking about alternative fuels which can ameliorate this. Uh, you know, uh, sun, wind, uh, all kinds of, of, of alternatives which can also bring in incredible amounts of jobs and, and economic boom for uh, putting this. But the people who are in control of this, the oil companies and the politicians that they are uh, uh, owning, because that's the only word for it. Um, so what we have here is a problem that uh, to me is criminal, to me is evil, but those labels don't explain anything. And I do a psychology show. And here's where I, I, I sort of found her, and I really do found her. There are certain things I have trouble getting my mind around. When I go through the DSM and I look for the reasons that people do things, other than the label that's used to, to somehow uh, create uh, an idea that, that this comes out of the label, that the behavior, when I look at motivation, I ask for motivation, I can understand taking drugs. I can understand suicide. I can understand many forms of violence. I can understand opposing authority. I can understand a variety of things. There are certain things I always have problems getting my mind around. One are fathers who abandon or mothers who abandon their children. Most of the time it's fathers. Uh, and I have something like this going on in my family. Uh, and have nothing to do with, um, ah, well, here's, I think this is Jim. Hello? Hello. Hi, how are you? Did you finish dinner? Uh, not yet. No, I just put it off. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad. But no, thank no, you. That, that's, it's, it's quite all right. And, uh, but I, I'm fascinated by your topic and uh, uh, don't have any strong disagreements, uh, of course. Uh, but, but I need I, your I, help with this because, you see, this is where I'm going. So I have I, problems I, understanding uh, parents who abandon their children and don't pay child support and have nothing to do with them. I have trouble doing that. I can't imagine that anything other than death can separate me from my children and my grandchildren. Right. Right. But apparently this is not a problem for many individuals. And evolutionary psychologists have all kinds of wonderful you know, uh, explanations for it. Uh, you know, Sex is cheap for men. It's expensive for the woman. And therefore the woman is more, tends to be more bound to her offspring. And yet at the same time, they say that uh, our genes uh, are, you know, 50% of a child is, is our own genes. And we, right. we act, uh, uh, you know, uh, Dawkins' idea of the selfish gene, 
we act to light in life to get our genes into the next generation because it's the genes that really do the motivating and we're just the carriers of the genes so how the hell can they walk away from all their genes i i have problems with that the other thing i have problems with is, is the politicians and the pr people and the scientists who know what's going on and deny it and lie What's interesting is that in this particular, you watch the Gasland. I uh, actually I have not. I've seen oh, some programs that are similar, but I, I I've got it on my in my queue. I just haven't had the opportunity. All right, so. when you do, you'll you'll, you'll we'll, we'll discuss it another time. Okay. Um, what what happened was that this this in his first administration, Obama uh, had this particular woman who was the EPA, and she was going to do something about it. Then he won the second, the, the, the second election, and many of us were very relieved because we didn't want Romney. Right. And he now, at his State of the Union address, says we're now energy independent because of the gas. Yeah. Right? It's wonderful, it's cheap, it's, it's wholesome, it's good to drink and whatever. Yeah. And the new EPA administrator now sent down a message to the lower people, the people who are in the field, to... Deny that there's anything wrong. We're not doing anything about this. So off the record in the show, they told the, these EPA people who now demand anonymity. They won't talk on camera. Sure. Tell the people, you're right. We, we know this is all damaging. It's the, doing terrible damage to your health, to your bodies, to the environment. But we can't do anything about it. We're being told, gag it, muzzle it. Yeah. And so the reports are now being buried, and we're being inundated now with more of this public relations. What was interesting to me is that the major uh, company that's doing the public relations job is named Hills and Noland. Hills and Noland, 60 years ago, worked for the tobacco companies to deny and convince people that smoking was not only not unhealthy, but was good for them. Yeah. They were the ones who came up with the commercials showing doctors smoking. And then, you know, oh, yeah. Kent with the Micronite filter and the yeah. filters. Nine out of ten New York doctors. <laughs> I right. remember that commercial. I'm remember old that? enough. So that, and yeah. the doctors knew. They knew. Not, there was no counter-information for years. And the doctor, Hammond, who originally released the information about how deadly cigarettes was, he did it in an article in 1961, because I remember, no, it was actually, it was earlier now, 55 or 56, in Reader's Digest, which was a very popular magazine at the time, right. um, that, that it was, this was dangerous, and he was, he was killed. I mean, he was just absolutely uh, um, vilified. He was yeah. driven out of town on a rail, uh, metaphorically speaking. Um, and now this same company is doing a job on us. And here's where I have a problem. How do you, if you, if you accept the idea that diagnoses are valuable, what would you diagnose these people to be? Uh, uh, I was watching, who's the comedian? He, he turns his name French. He's terrific. Oh, Colbert? Uh, huh? Uh, Steve, is it Steve Colbert? Stephen Colbert. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch him. Uh, I I watch the, I watch John Stewart. But, uh, well, he's 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 put he, he has a um, he's put into the documentary, because the former governor of Pennsylvania, now working as a public relations person, for Shell Oil, 
who's doing the drilling, he had him on his show. And with a straight face, um, he, he uh, uh, Ridge, who was also the former uh, uh, National Security, Homeland Security uh, chief, uh, looks at him and says, there's absolutely uh, no evidence that any of this water is contaminated from the drilling itself. It's just natural methane in the, in the ground that's seeping into the water supply. Yeah. At which point, Colbert reads from the report that the EPA did and then turns to him and says, well, how much benzene do you think I should feed my toddler? Yeah. At which, you know, when he does this, so... Uh, Ridge looks now, he has this look on his face. He knows he's caught. He knows the yeah. jig is up. And he looks away, but he's not embarrassed. Yeah. He recovers himself, and he says the same thing over again. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So he knows the truth. He knows it. Yeah. The EPA knows it. The government yeah. knows it. Shell yeah. Oil knows it. Yeah. Just like in a moment, I'll talk about the drug companies who know the toxicity of some of the drugs that they've been selling, particularly yep. the psychiatric drugs. Yep. And they know it, and they do it. How do you yep. diagnose them? Okay. Because I want to get now, a I'm handle glad... on okay. what to call uh, these people. Uh, Larry, I'm glad you asked me that question because, as you know, um, I've spent the last, I don't know how many months, uh working with and trying to understand the new Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM-5, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book that's sort of a gloss on this whole concept. So I, I've, uh, I've got some experience with psychiatric diagnosis, mental health diagnosis. Good. And, and I've got an answer for you. Please. And, and the answer is I don't diagnose that behavior or those people. What what the DSM, what what mental health diagnosis is meant for is to diagnose abnormal behavior, not normal behavior. And my my suspicion is, and I I, I, I couch it in that term because I uh, I don't have proof, but I I suspect that the behavior that you're talking about is just plain old ordinary son of a bitch human behavior and it's normal. Well, it's the problem is, nice. you know, when I look at the criteria, I don't know if they changed from 4 to 5 the criteria. One of the clear criteria is that behavior that is destructive to self and others is a criteria for a diagnosis. If this, if this isn't behavior that's destructive to self and others, particularly, you know, the, the, the people who uh, did the smoking or the drug companies, executives, they can avoid taking the drugs or they can avoid smoking. Right. But they can't avoid drinking water. Right. And where the See? hell are they going to go and live when, when the atmosphere starts to heat up to the point, and it's there now. I mean, you and I have talked about this. Right. Uh, we've had the coolest, wettest summer in Florida on record, while other parts of the country are literally being cooked off the map. But, but Larry, the, you, you, you so, so how do you understand the behavior? 
you, you slightly misquoted the criterion in the diagnostic manual, which is not, and, and I, uh, uh, and I'm, I, I think that it's, it's enough of a difference that uh, it allows my statement to stand. And the, the way that that uh, criterion reads is that the behavior or uh, other symptoms have to cause the individual, have, they have to cause distress or they have to cause impairment in relationships, social, personal, occupational type relationships. Uh, they they don't say that it has to be destructive. They say that it has to impair relationships okay. or well, doesn't cause this do a lot stress. of impairing? And, and well, are you uh, saying the then do, that we really, as as psychologists, as psychiatrists, have nothing to say about this? No, no, I I, I I'm not saying that we have nothing to within, say within our I'm role as, that, as as professionals. As, as because professional as just as a human people, being, as a cannot, citizen. I think all of these people should be put in jail. Uh, well, if if they are allowed to survive at all, I'm sorry, but I feel at, I'm sure I feel at least as strongly as you do about this uh, about this. But the the un, well, I'm not sure if it's unfortunate. the the uh, The conclusion that we have to draw as mental health professionals that uh, there are some kinds of behavior that are just plain awful, but that really we don't have much officially to say in terms of diagnosis and certainly not in terms of treatment. Okay, so let's leave the diagnosis out. How do you explain that as a professional? Um, I, I don't because know that. I don't know that I can. I, I, I guess I would have to invoke something like greed. And uh, well, I'll start, let's start out with greed. Is that that the the individuals involved are so much more interested in making a, a buck than they are in considering what happens to the environment and, and themselves, and themselves and their kids and their grandkids. Because to me, that has the, the smack of wonderful pathology that that needs an explanation. So I'm going to invoke an explanation, and I'm not happy okay. with it. Okay. And the explanation is I called the show, uh, I, I talked about Ernst Becker. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you read Becker's two books. Becker was a remarkable not. individual. He was a colleague and close friend of Thomas Zass, right. who, who you know how I feel about, and I've done many shows oh, yeah. about Zass. Right, right, when right. Zass was attacked after he published uh, in the late 60s, uh, The Myth of Mental Illness, his colleagues abandoned him wholesale. He was very respected and admired up until the publication of that book. The AMA went after him and the American Psychiatric Association went after him with knives and guns and clubs and you know what. I mean, sure. he, was, he, was, he was tarnished. He was the only individual who stood up publicly by him that this was his, uh, uh, not only his right as a professor, he had academic freedom to write this book, but he was also um, should be rewarded for writing the book. That it creates an important discussion that, that needs to happen. The only one who stood up to him. So I, I always found that very interesting about Becca. I didn't know that except through my contact with people who knew Zas. He stood up and, and, and um, 
took a lot of blows and attacks on himself. Uh, his book in 74 was The Denial of Death. And in that, he sort of redoes uh, psychoanalysis. He takes Freud to task for saying that our neuroses are really, and our fantasies and all of the distortions we end up living with are a product of repressed sexuality, particularly that comes out of childhood. And it's really our attempt to deny the reality of our non-existence. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, even though we know we're going to die in an abstract way, we can't imagine dying because while we're imagining being dead, we're imagining and we can't not imagine while we're imagining. You follow that? Yes. Sir. It's a nice piece of, I love that, see? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, your kids will talk to me, you know, I used to have patients, kids will say, I, I'm going to commit suicide. Well, tell me about it. And all the people that have uh, picked on them uh, are at the funeral and they're all crying and they're carrying on that uh, right. wish they had not done this to him or her, right. and they're sorry, and if they had it to do all over again, the father would give him the car, and he would be allowed to smoke, and, you know, on and on and on. The teachers right. do... it's, it's, it's Tom Sawyer at his own funeral. Yes, at, at his own funeral. But the fact is that while you're imagining yourself at the funeral, you can't imagine yourself being dead because it's antithetical. So yes, he right. had his book won the Pulitzer Prize in 74, and I think it's a wonderful book. Absolutely wonderful book. Well, the I second book was called Escape from Evil, and he never finished it because he was dying of cancer while he wrote the book. Right. So it's not finished. And in it he writes that uh, a similar theme. He could have called it the denial of evil, that when people really see human beings doing their destructive worst, they tend to have difficulty, unless they want to join them, they have difficulty accepting what they're seeing. And he points out that when the Jews kept getting more and more information about what Hitler was doing in Poland, uh -huh. uh, one village would hear that the other village, and no, no, it can't happen here. Yeah. Uh, we saw the same thing later, because I, I think this principle is a good principle. Uh, in Cambodia, when we first heard about Pol Pot right. wiping out two million uh, right. of his fellow seven million uh, Cambodians. Yeah. It's now called cappuccino? Or, that's coffee drink. What, what is it called? Yeah, Campuchia? Campuchia, yeah. Um, and mostly doctors, intellectuals, they destroyed the country. People said, no, it couldn't possibly be. That's our tendency. I feel that what's going on here in part is not simple evil, but there's a massive amount of denial going on by the very people who sort of know what they're doing but don't want to really know what they're doing. Okay. I can't prove that. Yeah. But that's the feeling I have. Well, I that think this uh, quite the frankly, ability for Yeah, go go ahead. I was I was going to say that uh I mean you you could be right about that, but uh isn't that giving it um uh, a, a kind of uh, painting it with a, in a favorable light. That no. is, you're suggesting. That, by the way, no. You see, whenever there's a wonderful saying. I don't know who said it, but I'll say it anyway. To explain all is to forgive all. Okay. So when you really understand the motive for people's behavior, you understand so, so much of the things that people do and the motive, uh, particularly the terrible things that happen to people in childhood. There's a tendency to want to forgive it, and liberals have tended to do that. 
Yeah, in I, fact, I, 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 think you're I, right. I won't watch Bill Maher anymore. They were discussing the uh, trial of Zimmerman and, and, and the kid he killed. Yeah, and Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin. And he invoked this business because uh, one of the guests said that there was, had been a lot of crime in the neighborhood, and most of that crime was carried out by young black men. Yeah. Right? So it gets murky and complicated in terms of the motivation here. But anyway, so here he, he, he's following a black kid. And at that point, Bill Maher says, well, if society allowed these young black men to have a job, a better job, they wouldn't be out breaking. Right. So what he's doing now, that's painting. Even if it's true, people have to be held responsible for their actions. So I don't care what these executives are doing or the, or the, or the public relations people are doing. I want to understand it. Even at the same time, I condemn it. Because understanding it, to me, relieves a feeling like I'm dealing with a black hole somehow, uh-huh. and, and I can't get my hands around it. Uh-huh. I want to understand why this is happening. Now, I live in a community, and I, I talk to a lot of people. Everybody I know, everybody I know, keeps saying the same thing, Jim. I, I'm afraid for the world that my children and grandchildren, especially my grandchildren, are going to live in. Yeah. If you then talk about anything that might be hurting the world in specific, it's denied. Particularly if they're Republican. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Particularly if they're Republican. Because yeah. as crazy as the Democrats are, they're fragmented. Although I have to tell you, when I when I watch when you watch this Gasland and you see uh, his speech, you know his, his, it was the State of the Union, his first State of the Union after his second election, and you realize what's at what's at stake here. He's absolutely saying we're going to get this natural gas out at whatever cost. Right? He knows it. He's not a bad man, but yeah, terrible, I, terrible damage is being done here. And my own explanation is they know it but don't know it. They know it but don't want to know it. And you see that in, in patients all the time, I think. I think I've always seen that. Right? Somebody smoking cigarettes. I know this is bad for me. But my father smoked till he was 94 and then was run right. over by a car. Yeah, right, 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 right. So they know it, but then they somehow are able to distance themselves emotionally from the consequences of their own actions. Yeah, but uh, but you see, what you're describing is to me is perfectly normal. That is, uh, uh, it, it happens every day, and it's it's pretty much what everybody does. Human yes, well, that's why I would get rid not, of all these diagnoses anyway. Yeah, you see, to me, the pathological is simply putting a label on a specific set of behaviors when so many of our behaviors are grossly pathological, but don't somehow fall under the umbrella of our field. And I put my field as the same as your field. Um, One of the books that I hold, because I have it signed by the author, who I met at a conference that I organized uh, some years ago, is called Let Them Eat Prozac by David Healy. You know the book? I, I don't know that. Uh, no, the name kind of rings a bell for some. Uh, Healy was um, 
uh, a scientist in Britain, and he was involved in the studies that showed that there was a correlation, although not clear the cause and effect, between uh, Prozac and the other uh, SSRIs, antidepressants, and suicide and homicide. Uh, They now have a black box warning in the United States that... um, the, the, it causes it can cause increase the probability of suicide in people under 18. Well, that's yeah, bullshit. Anybody who I, takes I, it. Yeah, I think actually that more recent work suggests that uh, maybe it actually doesn't. Well, maybe. Or if there is if there is a correlation, it's awfully weak. So. Well, the problem it, is though at the point at which he read, wrote this, the executives who who well what happened is he went. Uh, he, he was offered a job after he wrote, uh, started doing this research in England. By the way, Britain outlawed all the use of SSRIs for anybody under 18. And I believe that law is still on the books. Uh, you're, I, you're probably right. I, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, unless I, you know, I'm not in touch like I used to be because yeah. I was involved with, the organ, with an organization that, that had this finger on the pulse of this. Came to the United States, and he was given a job at, uh, of heading up research on these drugs, uh, and he worked uh, as a consultant for the big drug companies until he had a crisis of conscience. Uh-huh. Of course, the subtitle is uh, The Unhealthy Relationship Between the Pharmaceutical Industry and Depression. And what he realized was happening is that the scientists who may be right in their belief or wrong in their belief that there is a correlation between uh, some of these drugs and suicide and homicide are shutting their mouth and not saying anything because it's the marketing people who are really calling the shots on these drugs. Yeah. The marketing people are in control. Right? He then went public and they went after him. So that he was at, I think, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, the drug companies came in and they said, we will pull all our research grants unless you get rid of him. And they got rid of him. Sure. He, he went somewhere. I think he's in Canada now. Wonderful speaker. Wonderful man. Just, you know, just... Well, that's just, that, huh? In a sense, that's sort of what happened to, uh, to Becker also. He ended up in Canada. Uh, yes. Having, having been hounded out of several jobs in this country and... Uh, by the way, my, my entire knowledge about him is derived from a Wikipedia article that I read about an hour ago. <laughs> oh, I see. Because <laughs> I knew you were going to be talking about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, the better book really to me is because is, it's less intellectual and more, more emotionally, has more emotional punch, particularly because he was dying when he wrote it. There was, there was like a great emotional investment to finish this book called Escape from Evil. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Escape, yeah, Escape from Evil. It's a very short book, what, what there is of it. Very powerful stuff. Um, and so what I think is normal in human beings is denial. <laughs> I think it is normal. Yeah, it that is. when your salary is on the line and, and you're feeding your children, uh, unless your bull, you know, your ox is being gored directly, yeah. uh, you turn away. Yep. And we turn away all the time. We turn away yep. from now from Syria and the horror that's going on there, and we turn away from uh, any part of the world where this terrible terror. We turned away for years when uh, the Serbs were ethnic cleansing the Bosnians. 
I mean, it goes on and on and on, these horrendous acts. And you're right. They're not, maybe we shouldn't diagnose them because they was normal human behavior. But if this is normal human behavior, what do we do? Because we're literally, if you watch this Gasland show, we're literally destroying the planet we live on. I mean, literally. The methane, you know, I I told you, I think I mentioned, I have a fellow uh, in my development, a brilliant scientist. He was at uh, Harvard, and he worked for NASA, and he developed this uh, device that they put on the wing of the U-2 spy planes, which they don't spy with much anymore, but they send them up to 70,000 feet to measure the amount of hydrocarbons in the atmosphere. Uh-huh. Uh, and they know that from, from uh, boring and ice you know, uh, and, and trees, that historically it's gone up and down the number of carbon dioxide, but to up at a maximum of 20 parts per million. And it's been rising and rising and rising. And most of these scientists, again, you're shooting blind, uh, believe that 400 parts per million and you're going to have a real tipping of the planet in yeah. terms of what's going to happen. And we're now past 400 parts per million. Right. Yeah, basically so, we're screwed. <laughs> huh? I say basically we're screwed. Yeah. And here you are, and here I am with all our degrees and our knowledge, and we're supposed to be able to, to help people, and we're looking at normal human behavior that is being, in my view, denied. Um, although I'm sure that some of the people may fit the definition of a good psychopath and that they know what they're doing, but they don't give a damn because they can't connect to it emotionally. Right. Um, but I think the majority of them are connected and disconnected at the same time. And it won't happen. It won't happen. It simply won't happen. Um, And it's happening. And we know it's happening. And so, therefore, our profession is useless in saving the world. (laughs) Well, yes, but then that was, I don't think that was ever our uh, remit, uh, particularly, at least when I signed on, it was to try to help individuals and not yes. save the world, and and I, I I guess that's a that's an extremely puny defense, um, but it's the only one I've got. Well, I know you don't need a defense. Uh, theoretically, uh, I think in, in postmodern terms, in terms of the individual, uh, another wonderful book. Uh, oh God, you know my mind is really going. Uh, Arthur Kessler wrote a lot of science and he wrote a book called Janus which was the uh, two-faced being in mythology and he points out that you can study a cell as an individual entity but you can't understand it unless you understand it in connection with other cells uh-huh. And you can study collections of cells as an entity, but you can't understand it unless you understand it as part of an organ. And you can't understand, an, you can understand the organ, a liver, a heart, a, 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 as an entity. It has its own internal working, but you can't really understand it unless you connect it to the entire living organism. Right. And when it comes to living organisms, I think we can be understood as individuals but I don't think we can be fully understand unless we understand how we're connected to the social network and how as human beings we're connected to the environment. 
uh-huh. and to the larger world we live in. Uh-huh. And so when you just focus on the individual, I think that we're understanding something and maybe even helping things. But if this stuff is as connected as, you know, uh, what was the movie, The Butterfly Effect, which which took it from, from uh, whose idea was Buddhism, I think. Uh, right. If a butterfly bat- bats its wings in Sumatra, can there be a hurricane in Florida? And right. they're somehow connected. Yeah. So anyway, see, I feel better after I say these things. I'm going to go now and swallow a razor blade. Uh, that's how much better I feel. Yeah. Actually, I have a problem in my house. I have these smoke alarms, and they keep going off. And I keep changing the batteries, the 9 volts. So I know the bulb. Yeah. And then they go off, and when they go off, it's usually at 2 o'clock in the morning. Of course. Much louder than they do, because when the battery goes dead, they're supposed to, they chirp. Right. And, and the chirping could drive you crazy, but this goes screaming off. And then it's very hard to figure out where in the house it's even happening. Have so you, it happened uh, again just before I went on the air, so I took two of them down, and one of them is now chirping that it's down, so I know it either has a short or I have to change that battery. You, you, you but this is becoming try, really difficult. I don't even know who to call might, in. You might try vacuuming them. Uh, I try what? Uh, vacuuming. Uh, they, they work by, I don't know, some kind of a light beam thingy, and if enough dust collects, then it interrupts the light beam, and, oh. and they start going warm. Right, they have this so, little light beam that comes out. So try try vacuuming the thing, and then put it back up and see if yeah. that helps. Well, I think I have a couple of 9 volts, and I'm going to leave the the, the, the ladder, an 8-foot ladder, which I'm terrified to climb in my in my older years. Uh, yes. I'll leave it in the living room, because if it starts again when we go to sleep, although it hasn't happened now, uh, but then again, of course, it's, it, it did it at uh, 7.30. So 7.30 is not a problem. It's at 2 and 3 in the morning when they go off. Yeah, I, I've had the identical problem. Cockamamie thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. How are you, Jim? I'm, I'm quite well, thank you. I'm just, uh, uh, just working my fanny off trying to get this, um, this book completed. And uh, sometime I hope we can have a conversation about uh, the diagnostic manual because there's a lot to talk about. Let's let's set it up right now. When do you want to do <laughs> okay. it? Okay. Um, well, now I'm um, not. I'm I'm going up to New York for that'll be two uh, two weeks, a week, ten days, but it'll cover. You know, I won't do show for the next three weeks. Okay. So how about four weeks from tonight? Um. That's I'll, I'll contact uh, you by email with a date. Do that. Uh, do that. It's almost certainly going to work. Um, I'm going to be in Spain uh, the uh, first couple of weeks in September. Otherwise, oh, how wonderful! Where are you going? Oh, just uh, I don't, I'm not sure. That it's, it's a Parador trip. A what? Um, it's a. Uh, we're going to go see the Paradors. I don't even know what that is. Uh, I'm not sure that I do. Either. It's places to stay. <laughs> but you're going to go see them anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, we'll um, we'll set something up, and uh, I'll look forward to talking with you in what four weeks. Okay, and I always love when you come on because it's uh, it gets very lonely here talking into the uh, 
into in, in a space by myself. <laughs> Start to feel really maybe I'm crazy doing this. Okay. Okay. Very good. Say hello. I will do home. that. Take Bye. Bye. Okay, folks. Um, I'm going to uh, hold on for another minute or two. Uh, the number to call in is six four six seven one six seven seven five six. And of the many things I don't know how to explain, I can't explain why my last show uh, got almost 3,000 uh, people signed on to listen. Again, I don't know how long they listen. I don't even want to know because if it's for 30 seconds, uh, that would depress me. But almost 3,000 people sign on. I'm getting a lot of hits, but nobody while I'm on the air. Uh, and uh, I love when uh, my friend uh, Dr. Morrison comes on. Uh, we don't want to see eye to eye, but as people we do, and I think he's uh, he's wonderful. So I'm going to keep it here for another second, and then I'm going to say good night. Nobody's here. Okay. Hasta luego. <laughs> <laughs>